Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey, I'm Clint Howard, and you're listening to Gilbert Godfrey's amazing, colossal podcast. Right here, right now. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast i'm here once again with my co-host frank santo padre and we're once again recording at nutmeg with our engineer frank verderosa our guest this week is someone who frank and i have admired for many years and we're thrilled for the opportunity to have him on the podcast He's one of the busiest, and we mean busiest, and most respected, and versatile actors of the last half century, with over 219 film and TV credits. Memorable television appearances include Bonanza, All in the Family, Ironside, the Waltons, The Bob Newhart Show, Amazing Stories, Unsub, co-starring former podcast guest Richard Kine, The X-Files, Ken Burns, The Civil War, Frasier, and Damages, just to name a few. He's also made his mark with unforgettable performances in dozens of movies such as Little Big Man, Serpico, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, What's Up Doc, Slapshot, Ordinary People, Reds, Straight Time, Blade Runner, The Jerk, Fletch, Back to School, Clean and Sober, and of course, as the double-crossing private eye Lauren Visser in the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple, for which he was awarded the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actor. Over the course of a six-decade career, he shared the screen with and often stolen scenes from Heavyweights such as Robert Redford, 
Dustin Hoffman, Harrison Ford, Gene Hackman, and Paul Newman. And if you don't believe us, just watch the films for yourself. His dependable and consistently impressive body of work led film critic Roger Ebert to coin the phrase the Stanton Walsh Rule, meaning any movie featuring either Harry Dean Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh couldn't be old bad. Please welcome to the show an actor's actor and a man who says he never understood what the hell the original Blade Runner was all about. The legendary M. Emmett Walsh. I guess I'm supposed to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an hour-long show and you just took off 55 minutes. I mean, what the- <laughs> That's it. The intros are a little lengthy, haven't Yeah, it's they, they serve as an intro and obituary. <laughs> Oh, gee. It it made it sound like my career is over. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's a retrospective. You've done a lot. uh, Is profanity a lot on the Absolutely. We insist on it. Who else calls you two assholes assholes? (laughs) (laughs) Lots of people. (laughs) Okay, good. Fine. I want to be in the marching crowd. Now, can, can we hit on that Stanton Walsh rule again? You said you've broken that rule. No, well, uh, uh, what was who? What who? who right, Roger Ebert. Ebert. Roger Ebert. Uh, right, Ebert. Ebert. Cisco and Ebert. Yeah, uh, there was a review later on something I did, and he said I broke the rule. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't watchable. Wild Wild West was that the one? Wild Wild West. I don't know. It could have been. Yeah. Could have been. I have no idea. But uh, I I met uh, I met them both at different. Or I talked to the guy in Chicago, the the last one to die. You know, I talked to him in Chicago one time, and uh, you know, on a radio type of thing, way way back. Ebert. But uh, Cisco and Ebert. Well, they were very nice to me, and uh, a lot of people, you know, do remember that uh, Cisco Ebert, uh, you know, quote. So it's nice. What the hell? Yeah, I think you said Stanton broke the rule. With dream a little dream. Well, I don't know that. I yeah. don't know. Well, Harry Harry Dean just died within the last year, didn't just he? Just died. Yeah, big yeah. big talent. Yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah. It's true. The two of you in a, in a movie is a, is a, a a sign that you're in for a a decent well, experience. Well, well, the thing is, uh, you know, Harry Dean. You know, Harry Dean. I I did uh, I did something with him. What in the hell was that one? The uh, we we did a film together, huh? Was it straight time? Oh, he's in straight time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I, the, yeah. 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 Well, Harry Dean. Yeah. The. Uh, um, well, Harry Dean. You know, Harry Dean was Harry Dean. You know, I basically don't want you to know Emmett Walsh. I want you to know a cop or a or a minister or 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 you know a killer or the president of Princeton. And then when I say that, I get I get three hundred and seventy four letters from Princeton saying. Get our college off your fucking lips, will you? Okay. 
You prefer to disappear yeah. into the role than than somebody say there's yeah, no there's Emma Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm not. You know, and you know, I'm not saying if they had come to me at some early stage and offered me tons of money to play the same character for thirty years, I wouldn't have done it. But I have fun not being Michael Emmett Walsh. And uh, when I joined my first union, I couldn't. There was a Michael Walsh. Like there could not be two. Uh, there could not be two uh, Spencer Tracys at one time. They protect a person's name. The unions. So rather than becoming, uh, you know, you know, rather than becoming what Gilbert or Frank, you know, I, I decided to go with my first initial on my middle name. That was supposed to be a laugh. These guys are dull. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> We're being roasted by M. Emmett Walsh. Five minutes into the show. Yeah, I think Michael Keaton took the name Keaton because he was Michael. No, Douglas. no, no, no. There was, uh, yeah. there was, and and I oh, think- oh, oh, Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah. There. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was well known that the, you, so when I got my first union card, which I think was sex, uh, was equity, the stage union in New York, you know, and I knew I couldn't use the name rather than, you know, I, uh, there had been a wonderful character actor back in the thirties and forties, uh, uh, Jay Carroll Nash. Oh, yes. sure. We know. Yes. Car- you know, you know, and, uh, I always liked the sound of it, you know, Jay Carroll Nash, but. Uh, and then I went with the M, you know, rather than going with, you know, the, one of the clowns' names here or something. And, uh, uh, and uh, but no one can say M. Emmett Walsh. It scans all right. You can read it. But like Harry Dean Stanton, you know, uh, J. Carroll Nash has a, has a, a poetic mm-hmm. sound to it. But you can't say M. Emmett Walsh with... It guts itself up. <laughs> it looks it looks okay on paper, but you can't say it out loud. So, but that's the where it, that's where it came from. The uh, and um, yeah, fine, fine. you know, I'm uh, my mother's favorite brother was uh, Emmett Sullivan, so that's where the middle name came. Oh, so you from. took that, and it's spelled E M M E T, the Irish way. You know, Robert Emmett, a Nathan Hill of Ireland, who was hung by the English back in eighteen twenty something. His uh, it was a surname. He was a Protestant. But uh, Robert Emmett spelled it as one team. And the Irish who were uneducated and so forth to pay homage to this great person spelled his name wrong for the next 200 years. Oh, man. Well, tell, yeah. tell us what you were, before we turn the mics on, Emmett, you were telling us the story of how you, you, you're, from, you're from Vermont. You came to New York against your are mother's you wishes. The, are you telling me the mics aren't on now? They are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't until Gilbert read his intro. Yeah. <laughs> but you were you were fascinating us. You were telling us how your mother did not want you to come to New York, and you took a chance. Oh, no. I, I have a degree in marketing. I have a degree in business. And uh, uh, my mother, you know, lovely Irish lady. My fa- uh, Olivier, Lawrence Olivier said his, his mother had the wish. The way he got into theater, into acting, was his mother had the wish and never did anything with it. My father had the wish, you know, if I picked it up from someone in the family. But but my father never did it. You know, he was a machine gunner in the First World War and all that other stuff. But um, I got the wish from my father. And then when I was finishing up in college, you know, the dean of students had me in, you know, Clarkson University. Now it's Clarkson College up in Potsdam, New York. St. Lawrence is right next to to Clarkson up there in, in the north. My college is only, only 150 miles from where I grew up in Vermont. And uh, the dean of students had me when I was finally graduating. And I wasn't doing it in four years. It was just taking a little bit longer than that. And he said, okay, well, she said, you're going to graduate. We can't stop it. Well, we want you to know you're graduating with the lowest marks of anyone in seven years. Wow. 
So that's the way Clarkson College put me out. You know, of course, they had me back for the fifth reunion, gave me the Golden Knight Award. You know, <laughs> right now that you made it, they'll take <laughs> you, you think, back. You think I did not rub their asses in it, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> now, you you received one of, like, the worst insults, I guess, that any man can receive. When you did Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman, uh in one part, Dustin Hoffman handcuffs you oh, to yeah. a street pole. I know where you're going here. And he pulls your pants down. So you're there with your naked ass out. And you said at one point you turned around and you could see your dick. And that caused like an argument over whether it would be an R or X rating. Yeah, and? Well, uh, then, uh, so no one wants an X rating because, you know, you'll lose. You, you've, done, you've done a terrible job of setting up this line. Yeah. Okay, so you <laughs> tell it. Jesus, I'm I mean, telling Christ. you so you can do it. I, 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 I feel like my career is over and I came here just to do what? Anyway, uh, yes. at, that time, at that time, any frontal nudity in, in a film was an automatic X rated. Any frontal nudity. And uh, Dustin overpowers me in the car. I'm his parole officer, taking him away to, to someplace. And he he ends up he ends up handcuffing me to a freeway divider where my hands are up above my head. And then he pulls down my trousers. I am exposed on the freeway, and cars are going by with their honking their horns and so forth. And I'm tied there with my you know with my trousers down. Uh, at one point in there, I kind of swung towards where the camera was, which was across the freeway, and uh, you, you, I exposed what had before just been my bare ass, you know. So you saw it from the other side. At that time, any frontal nudity in a movie was an automatic X rating, and I was told that the committee that gives the rating to the films looked at it, saw the scene, saw me turn towards the camera. And said, that's not worth an X. The hell with it. Give him an R. <laughs> <laughs> he does tell it better. <laughs> so, so your dick is not worth an X ray. <laughs> well, the, uh, um, I've got three dead wives that died under mysterious circumstances that, that didn't complain that much, but I got sick of them. <laughs> I liked another line you said, Emmett, uh, about uh, tell, tell us uh, w- what people would see if you were in a movie playing Jamie Lee Curtis's lover. I thought that was very, very funny and very telling. Her husband, her husband. Oh, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's right. Jamie, Jamie Lee. Yeah, I said if, if the movie opens up and uh, I am Jamie Lee Curtis's husband or lover or boyfriend or something, you know I'm dead in 10 minutes. And then she spends the next hour and a half looking for the killer. <laughs> I mean that. I love that. that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I don't. I don't stay there very long. You know, Jamie Lee. She's she's a sweetheart. She is. So you came to New York to do serious theater. You you had an interest in doing Moliere and Shaw and those kind of things. You didn't say I'm gonna I'm gonna be a character actor. Well, intellectually, I could understand Shaw and Shakespeare and Moliere, mm-hmm. but I'd been deaf in my left ear since the time I was three years old. I had a a mastoid operation when I was three. That now they ninety percent of the Time they can clear that up with penicillin, but in 1938 there was no penicillin, or really. And um, so, uh, 
they did an operation that more or less deafened me in my left ear. And I grew up in northern Vermont, and I, you know, I did come down in New York, and I wanted to intellectually do Shaw and Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But I said things like, um, Pfeffer. And they said, what? Pfeffer. And they said, what are you saying? What did you want to go and do that for? Pfeffer. And they said, Gee, you want to do Shaw and Shakespeare? And I said, well, they understand me at home. So that's where I started. It was obvious I wasn't going to do Shaw and Shakespeare and Moliere. My speech was was just simply too bad. You mm-hmm. couldn't go back and, you know, kids kids fourteen were doing were doing Shakespeare, and I, you know, I I couldn't speak English, so I had to figure out if I was going to do it. You know what I could do that no one else could do, and that's that's the hard point. Uh, people go and try to become the next Pacino. Or, or the next Meryl Streep or something. They don't want that. They want something new, something different. They want you. And actors have a hard time figuring that out. So I had to figure out who I was and why what I could do, no one else could do. And that's where that's where I started, uh, you know, fooling around on all that. I'm an old jock. I let it in four sports. I'm a par golfer, you know. And, uh, you know, athletically, I do anything. And... Um, and uh, I, I just, I just had fun. People brought me in. Uh, they once they got on to me and figured me out. They'd say, "Well, the, this is terrible crap." But get Walsh, at least he makes it believable. So I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you, know, you know, and I got a lot of those jobs. I got a lot. Of, I've done 118 feature films. It's amazing. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there, and I'm not ashamed of of uh, you know they're not all Hamlet. But I'm not ashamed of any of it. Some is quite interesting. Yeah, some of the, some that we read. And and you have played, I think, what's been described as the nice villains, and and it makes you even more scary that you're one of those villains with like the smile on the face and you know a good old boy attitude. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know about the ninth villain, but. Uh, the, uh, I think he the, said. Uh, I think he said, "Nice villain." Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Well, that you try to you try finally, to add, you try to add humanity to these characters. I finally meet someone with speech worse than mine. Thank you. Uh, the <laughs> nice villain. The, <laughs> <laughs> this is like interviewing Bob Einstein. <laughs> we're, the, uh, we're, we're we're being ripped apart. The um, no, it's um, I don't know where are we. Well, you were talking about how you, how you try to humanize bad guys. No. Uh, um. The uh, like Blood Simple was a film I did that uh, for the Coen Brothers, the Coen Brothers' first movie, mm-hmm. Blood Simple, where I played the the private detective that uh, you know, the, you know the Sumball type of guy. And if you're playing, I learned early on, if you're playing a villain, the the villain goes home and he uh, you know he's, he flirts with his wife, he takes the kids out to the park. You know, he's the nicest guy in the world. He has a bad job on the weekends, you know, but he's he's not a villain. If you play a villain as a villain, it's not very interesting. The, early on in the theater, you learn if 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 uh, the character cries, the audience doesn't. So the most interesting thing about acting a bit a bit is to avoid the tears and let the audience cry. And uh, most actors want to cry. You know, type of thing, and that 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 kind of kills it a little bit. It's um, I don't know if that means anything to you guys. That's I, interesting. I'm looking at yeah. you. I'm looking at you, and I said, "Did either one of them get out of high school?" Look at that. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> you flatter us. We're yeah, much know, older. Th- we're much older than that, Emmett. So you went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. It, it, yeah, for two years after after uh, you know I went down in the art right, and uh, I didn't know anything. I t- said I couldn't. You know I, and somehow I had the wish. Olivier said his, his, he got the wish for his mother. I got the wish for my father. Mm-hmm. And I'd done I'd done theater in high school and college and you know and so forth. You know I I enjoyed it out on stage. Being on stage was fun for me. I it was never it, I was never scared of it. Afraid of it. And uh, so I went to New York, but I didn't know anything. I went to, uh, I auditioned at a school called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And they take, they, they take you know, more or less anybody for the first year. Then they, you know, they weeded out mm-hmm. and invited back for the second year. I, I came very close and I didn't be invited back for the second year. Now they, both the schools on the West Coast and the East Coast have a third year connected to it. And, uh, but that's where I, you know, I would... Uh, in New York, when I started, you could see any play you wanted to. You put on a jack and a tie, and you kind of hang around outside the theater at the first intermission, you know, and they come out to have a cigarette or something, and you kind of walk in with them, and there's always an empty seat or something, and you sit, and I watched I watch the last, I watched the last two acts of Miracle Worker or Raisin in the Sun, wow. you know, 10, 15, 20 times, but I'm watching actors do this stuff, you know, and... And um, eventually, you know, and eventually the people in the theater, the the door people, and the, they get you, come on in, sit down, you know, the whole thing. I, and um, uh, so, but I, I, I was an empty disc picking up an impression. You know, I had, I didn't have to unlearn something. If you're a football player and you go to Notre Dame, they spend the first two years unlearning what you learned in high school so you could be a decent college football player. I didn't have to unlearn anything you know i was spooking it all up and then in time i would go to a play and i was amazed by it all because i you know i'm I'm, i was a theater actor i was Mm -hmm. a movie actor Mm -hmm. a television actor and i'd watch and watch one then finally i started seeing performances and acting is beat to beat to beat with the character and i'd see an actor do something on a given beat and i said no that's not the way you should do that beat and then I'd, you know, I'd see another performance. You know, I'd start to pick on things where before I'd been totally awed by it all. And then, then it became obvious that if I'm sitting in the chair in the audience, why am I not up on that stage? You know, I said, well, how do I get my ass from here up to there if I'm so bloody smart? You know, and that became marketing. That, you know, I, I, I had to learn how to, if I got a chance to go meet people on, a, on, a, on something, to walk in, there'd be, there'd be seven Emmett Walsh's before me and six coming in after me. How could I win that job? Oh, that's fascinating. With all these, you know. And so I had to learn how to go in there, but that was the marketing background. You know, you walk, I talked to the kids about this. I'd walk in there and uh, basically they give you a page or a scene and you're reading with somebody and there's seven or eight people watching and you feel it. You know what's going on, you know. And uh, if you, if you, 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 there's an instinct type of thing. And if you thought it was not going well, you'd say, uh, I'd worked this all out before. I'd say, hey, you know, what, what if this guy was, uh, uh, as opposed to he's written, what if, what if he had a, had a, 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 a really, really bad stammer and he, he, he had, to, had to trouble around people? What about that? And they said, well, well, show us. Show us what you mean. And I'd take another one. I'd say, what if this guy was, uh, you know, as opposed to, what if he's very hostile? 
you know, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. What else you want me to do? Anything else? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I said, well, and they'd say, well, yeah, well, we hadn't thought about that, you know. And I would, I learned how to interview, how to audition, you know. And also, there was only me. I mean, women found me totally repulsive, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it was only it was only me in the bar, you know, type of type of thing. So, so, so these people. You know, I might I might not get the job at you know on that end, but they sure. remember me next time they came in. Absolutely, and uh, and uh, I I learned you know how to handle that's marketing. I learned how to sell the product. That's I great. was the product. How to separate you know, yourself from the yeah, other end of Walsh's. Yeah, and there you know you could you can sit there at a in a casting call and watch people come in. And you could see people that they're thinking about the car payments or the kids got to, you know, needs more books for college or something. You know, they're not there. You know, you can see that. You know, it's uh, you read these stories about these, somebody got the job at a, at, a, at a cold interview. And it's just that uh, they learn how to handle it. You know, I learned how to kind of handle it. And uh, I had a good time. And it, there wasn't... Uh, it was me. I could always work. What got you know, the I, What got the ball rolling for you, uh, Emmett? You were you're in a couple of plays. The was the death of the well loved boy. Was that sort of the first legitimate role? I was I was uh, going with a girl who worked for an advertising agency, McCann Erickson. Mm-hmm. They're and, still around. Uh, she she got I don't know if they are or not. Yeah, they are. And she got she got me a job doing an Esso commercial. Esso gas. Esso gasoline. You know now it's Chevron. I don't know what the hell it is now, but it was Esso. And um, just on camera talking for, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 seconds, you know, doing an SL commercial. And the casting person on that gave a call to an agent, you know, Don Buckwald, who's head of the Buckwald agency. He's still around, York. too. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he's big time. Yeah. You know? Howard Stern's and, uh, uh, agent. Yeah, Howard Stern's man. Right. And um, and she got a hold of Buckwald, who was just getting into the, into the uh, agenting business, and he got a hold of me. And... Um, you know, and as I say, I'm a loose cannon. And I'd go for an interview, and then he'd call and said, what did Walsh do? And they'd, well, and he'd say, hey, look at you, what you can't do. <laughs> you know, you know, and he homed my interviewing process. Wow. You know, Don, Don was involved. And I started to make money doing commercials. So then they, they'd call and say, we got a chance. Uh, there's a play they're doing off Broadway. You'd carry a spear. And I said, uh, fuck you and your spears. I don't care. Spears <laughs> and they only knew me as a spear carrier, you know? Right. So, so they can't take an insult. They say, well, give him this. He'll fall on his face. By then they were hiring a cannon to kill a car coach. I was so ready that I, that, I that that there's expression. no way. There that's was, and that's the way I started. And I started doing, you know, I did the commercials. Then I started doing the movies because the same casting people were doing commercials right. and television. And uh, the word got out. He looks good on camera. He's interested. You know, the whole thing. The uh, 80% of acting, or maybe 75% of acting, can be taught. The other 25 or 20% is the gift. You know, uh, I, you know I had nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, that was a gift. I, I, did, I did the study. I learned everything you could. And then the gift got, got me to the next stage. That's interesting. The things that audition, the way he the way he handles an audition, because Gil, Gil, Gilbert's yeah. done some acting roles in his career, and he absolutely hates auditioning. Well, I'm looking at him, I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying em- em- Emmett turned it to to his advantage. Yeah, 
to separate himself from the people in the waiting room. He found a way. Well, to, well the thing you got, you got to, you know, like, but that's this was my degree in college, marketing, administration, marketing. Right, came in handy. You know, how do you sell the product? You know, how do you sell the product? The, uh, but you know, I, I, I have. Uh, uh, my father saw my success. You know, he came to New York. I was doing a Broadway play and so forth. And uh, my mother got Parkinson's, and she was in a you know in a nursing home for the last ten years of her life, just you know shrinking to nothing. My mother never saw any of it. And uh, but uh, the the it was it was what I wanted to do. It's what I figured out how to do. And uh, I knew how to deal with money. You know, if uh, you live, you live at this line. You know, if your things are going well, you still live at this line. Mm-hmm. And if things are going poorly, the money that you saved above the line goes down here. You know, but most actors end up. You know, they they chase the money. You know, they're doing well, then they do very well, then they buy the two Cadillacs and the Mercedes and the house and the whole thing. And then when things don't go well, then they're in trouble. I always, because of the business background, you know, learned how to handle the money I had and put it away. And normally, at this stage of my life, I have enough money not to do interviews like this. <laughs> <laughs> but, Hilarious. So, but, your, but, your, but, uh, some, that was a perfect calm. payoff to that story, Emmett. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. I'm going away. Stop it, you. <laughs> Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Gil and Frank went out to pee. Now they're back so they can be on their amazing colossal podcast. Podcast. Kids, time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. So the market, the marketing, and the and the business background really paid off. Yeah, yeah. In my case, yeah, yeah good but, for you. Uh, it you know, paid you know. off as far as being able to live financially and also to get parts to sell himself to to to, to know how to market as the product. And and you said you I think you have a quote I get paid to do nothing. I, no, the quote is I I get paid to do what I do for nothing. And that means you understand yeah, you understand yeah. the difference? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, he you loves know, it that it, much. All actors all actors will, will do anything. They love acting, you know? And uh um you know, I get paid a lot of money. Well, you know, now I'm either what, what am I 97 or 103. <laughs> But I've had a good time. I've met interesting people, had a lot of fun with them. Uh, no, one, no one screws with me. 
if I walk on set or if I walk in front of the camera and you're doing a scene with me, you better damn well be good or I'll kill you. But if you're good and you see me coming in, you are going to make sure you don't lose to me. So you end up with a tennis match. I love that. You say something, the ball comes back. I say something. And it goes back and back and back. And the audience is going whack, 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 whack. And that's what makes the great theater. That's what makes great acting. You, uh, you really watch the tennis match going on. And um, I, no one screws around with me because they know I'm there to help the material. Of course. I'm not, I'm not there to make an Emmett Walsh, uh, you know, type of thing. Get Walsh, move the story along. I've heard you say. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well, that, uh, they're not, you know, as they say, they're not writing movies for me. They're writing movies, you know, watch me fall off a curb. The, uh, Could we ask you about some of the early, and did you room with William Devane at one point, Emmett? Yeah, Devane came down from Albany. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, we, we, uh, we all started at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, which, as I said, was a two-year school. And anybody got it. And Bill Devane came down with another friend of his by the name of James Sloyne, who uh, was the voice of Lexus for years and years and years mm-hmm. recently. But we, they came down together, and uh, we we ended up five in a little little uh, downstairs underneath the underneath the street uh, apartment up on like Seventy Fifth Street and in Amsterdam Ave, Avenue or something, you know. And uh, yeah, Devane and I, and we were all together, and. Uh, Good actor. Devane, Devane got a leg up earlier. You know, we went to school for two years and so forth. Um, Devane, Devane was kind of a, a, a male lead, you know, type of thing. I was a character person. Mm-hmm. I had to grow in, you know, into uh, my stuff. And um, Devane, Devane studied and worked hard in the whole thing. And he's, done, he's had a very good very job. Very nice career. Yeah, no, and, you know, like everybody knows, he did John Kennedy back there. That's and right. And it's still a hell of a good work. But he's done some very good films. He's He's always working, and he's believable. Yeah, no matter what it's in, you know. We that's what we learned. Did you work with Nichols and May back in those days too? I did a play, and that's curious. Thank you. Um, I I did a play. I did I I did a play that uh, Elaine May wrote, mm-hmm. and Mike Nichols directed up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might have been called a matter of position, but I'm not sure what it was. But uh, all good character people from New York, and we're up in Stockbridge, Mass. And uh, that's where I met Elaine and, uh, and Michael. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I've dealt with Elaine afterwards. Uh, Mike, you were in Mikey uh, and Nikki. Mike, yeah, yeah, and uh, the other guy, the male, whoever we're talking about. Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. <laughs> Mike, Mike Nichols had me in a movie or two, too. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, well, the, the thing is, what... What happens with a casting situation or a director or something, um, they, they say, look, at there's 130,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild, 130,000 members. They'll say, look, at, uh, I only want to see 10 people. Now, how do you get ahead of all those people to, get, to be one of the 10 that gets in to see somebody? You know? And that's, you know, what it's the daunting. Hell? Yeah. And uh, so I, I was, you know, I auditioned well, and I met Mike, Mike well, and they would simply say, uh, okay, we got Walsh for this. That takes care of that problem. Now let's see who we can get for the girl. You know, I, I was a problem solver. You know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't have to worry about spending two days cats and this. that make any sense to yeah. you? Yeah. But to, tell, I'm are, interested in those early days because you, uh, you were in Midnight Cowboy with John Schlesinger, Alice's Restaurant with Arthur Penn. I mean, look, um, looking back. 
uh, Arthur Penn. Arthur Penn I did a, I directed. Did, I did a play. Arthur Penn did a play up in Sackford, and that's where he met me. Uh huh. You know, maybe it might have been the Lay May play. And uh, then after that, when Arthur, you know, Arthur gave me, uh, uh, Arthur brought me up for, uh, what, what was that movie? Alice's Restaurant. The, Alice's Restaurant. Yeah. You know, I played the Sergeant Group W, I think, yeah. or, or something, yeah, or something. But Arthur Penn, there was a thank you for what I'd done in the play, you know, type of thing. But uh, it goes back to what I said. If, uh, if they, you're casting something and you've got 12 problems. If they got me, they only had 11 problems. You know, and that was, the, I was, you know, the, I would take care of whatever it was they needed. And they didn't have to, they could go on with something. They, look, at, I don't want you, I said before, to see a, a Michael Emmett Walsh. I want you to see the garbage collector. Right. You know, and they knew that uh, I wasn't going to do anything other than the garbage collector for them. And, and, you know, and it solved the problem. We always like on this show, both of us, Always admired the character actors because... Yeah, we've had some good ones here. Bruce Dern and Steve Buscemi's been here. And it, it's like, because when you see a movie, you'll go, wow, you know, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep were great. And you forget the great character actors, you know, because you'll go, oh, that was a doctor in that scene or a cop. And you believe it's a doctor or a cop. You're not going, oh, that's a great performance. Well, yeah, well, that's what character acting is about. Yeah. That, that's what you, you know, it, uh, it, look, we're talking about, I'm a stage actor. I, you know, you know, I started out in the stage. I never thought in terms of movies and television. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought if I could ever make a living as a, an actor on stage, that would be wonderful. And uh, I did get to that, you know, but I never saw the, uh, I never saw that, what happened when I was on film? You know, I never had anything to do with that. That's the gift. I mean, the acting, I said before, is 75%. The gift is is what, you know, um, uh, Vanessa Redgrave had the, you know, she walked on film and you said, wow, you couldn't watch anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there, the, you know, there are, there are other actors like that. You know, you simply, wow, they just burn it. You know, you just, they just burn the film. And, um, so uh, I was given, you know, I was given the gift of, you know, I can walk on stage and people would watch me. I could walk on film and people watch me. Those are the gifts. You don't always get it in both cases. But, uh, you know, I'm, come on, that's, that's luck. That's luck. And also, you know, I might have just stayed at home and ran a bar, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And, I'm and, glad you didn't. And you had, I remember I'd heard this quote once before, and I forget the exact quote. Olivier said something about the angels. Okay, then, okay. Before you ruin that quote, <laughs> <laughs> Olivier said, "There are nights in the theater when the gods seem to come and sit on your shoulders." That's great. But, but on the nights when the gods don't come, the audience does. Oh, that's profound. So they're there either way. Whether you have it or not, they're there. The, the guy next to you, I understand that at all. He said really <laughs> yes, no. Open. He's <laughs> fascinated. <laughs> but but that, that, that's, that's the Olivier's quote. It, it, it is true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, you open the play, and uh, you opening night, you're dynamic. 
you know, the, the great line in the theater is watch the second night. That's when it goes right in the toilet. You know, you're so high for the opening. The second night just goes, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, I did I did uh, something with Henry Fonda one time. And uh, and uh, one of Fonda's things was like he did Mr. Roberts for a year or more or something on Broadway. And uh, you're going out there eight times a week. You know, basically, you don't do anything from from noon on. You know, just your energy is all getting ready for that curtain to go up at eight o'clock at night. You know, if you're going to do anything, you do it afterwards. All theater bars, you drink and you eat after the show. You don't go in there with a full stomach. But uh, on the nights when uh, when uh, Fonda, uh, you know, didn't know anybody out in the audience, you know, because if you if somebody comes back after a show. And you say, Tony, Tony, why didn't you tell me you were out there? You know, because you knew you would have done it different if you had, if you'd known Tony was out there. Uh, Fonda would go when he knew nobody in the, you know, he played for over a year at those plays. He would look through the peephole in the curtain and he'd say, see that, see that woman in the fifth row, two seats in with the, with the pink hat? He said, that's the one. And he'd do the performance for her. Like it was his mother, so he wouldn't be gray, so he wouldn't be sloppy, and she never knew. But it prevented him from, you know, from slipping. Wow! He'd come off the stage. He said, "Come on, fellas, that was a damn eighty-three. Now we were eighty-seven last night. Come on, let's get it back up there." He would, he would grade them. You know, he wouldn't let. Wow! What, but, but that was that was the great stage actors. What a pro! You know? Well, yeah. Well, it. Now you ask someone to do a play, they won't do it more than ten weeks or something. You know, it's a, you know they get bored. You know, the whole thing with before that was with theater. You couldn't get bored. You know, uh, life with father. You know, uh, you know for, ran for five, six, seven, eight years, all the way through the Second World War. You know, uh, Harold Harold Lindsay, Harold Lindsay, and and his wife. But uh, um, oh, these people we're put their time about, in. Well, let, let, so yeah. we're talking about money. Let's talk. Let's talk about Blood Simple because did, did you have the brothers pay you in cash when you took the gig? The uh, they're trying to get me. they're trying to get the IRS on me. The <laughs> <laughs> I don't know nothing about nothing. The uh, <laughs> hello to Mike, by the way, well, whoever is playing when, to when when uh, when uh, I was doing Silkwood with Meryl Streep right in Dallas, and I got a call. Uh, I got a call from my agent at the time, and I had heard that they had turned a couple things down that, you know, were, were being offered to me or something. And I never heard about it. And I got totally pissed. I said, I want to read everything. I want to see everything. You don't turn anything down without me seeing it. So I'm down there, and I get this script um, from these two brothers down in, down, uh, down in uh, Austin, Texas, you know, the mm-hmm. Joe and Ethan Cohen. Yep. And uh, they came out of uh, Minnesota. Joe was a uh, Joe was a theater major at NYU. Ethan was a, a Princeton graduate, uh, philosophy or something. So I get this script, and it's it's blood simple, and it all takes place at night. You know, uh, it's very hard to shoot at night. There's uh, you know, it's hard to get any depth. You know, that's tough, tough to do, and uh, the. Uh, um, I, you know, I slink around with his suit, his Panama suit and his hat and the whole thing. And, uh, and um, it was interesting. I said, look at, I, I can take this character and, 
like a Sydney Green Street, and I can work it out. And then twenty years time, when I'm old enough, you know, I can do it in a real movie. You know, so I <laughs> so you have I, a lot of faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd flush it out because nothing could come of this thing. And uh, I uh, told the agents, I said, uh, "Go see what they got." And the agent came back and said, "They'll give you, they'll give you, uh, they'll give you one percent of the profits." I said, I have a degree in business administration from college. 1% of zero is zero. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck are we talking about? <laughs> and, she, and, they, they, and the agent comes back the next day and said, they'll give you 2% of the gross. I said, you went from profits to gross in one day? <laughs> I said, it's still going to be nothing. No one's ever going to see the fucking film. But I own part of the film. I get checks on it all the time. I love from, that. From Blood Simple. And uh, so I went down. I met the Coen brothers down there, you know, in, uh, in Austin. And they had this little film they'd made up and so forth. And uh, and I'm up there doing Silk Road with, with Merrill, you know, and I'd go down to Austin for a week or two. And they had it. They had it right down to the very nth degree. They had been working on it for two years. You know, they oh, they yeah. raised their they raised their three or four hundred thousand dollars, and they had the whole thing. And I went down, and and uh, uh, the first time I'm there, I think I was getting five hundred dollars a day in expense money. You know, mm-hmm. so they gave me they gave me a check, and hey, I don't know who you guys are. I don't want your check. So they came back and gave me gave me five one hundred dollar bills. You know, so I put it in my pocket. Then week after week after week. And finally, I got a wad going out. And I know everybody's looking at my pocket. And I'm going to get mugged. I put them in the ice cube tray. You know, I don't, don't, didn't know what to do. You're I, had cre- I had created my own monster. I was paranoid. paranoid. But I, I did their thing. And uh, and Joe, um, Joe would, uh, they kind of looked through the camera together. Joe was the director. and But Ethan, they're, they're just talk, talk, talk together. And Joe would say, uh, he'd say, well, yeah, I want you, uh, I want you to go over there. And I said, well, what, what if I look this way? And they said, no, we can't afford that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd say something, and then I'd say, what if I do? He said, uh, and Joe, one of the great lines where Joe said, just humor me, Emmett, will you please? Just humor me. You know, and that, that became one of them. And, uh, at one point in there, when I was up working on Silkwood, he gave me a call and he said, can, uh, can you, do you smoke? I said, no, I'm not a smoker. He said, can you blow a smoke ring? And I said, I'm not a smoker. And he said, would you, would you work? And we want you, Danny Hydea, you know, is a guy I, you know, the whole thing yeah. in the bar, a bar owner. And he said, so I tried to, you know, and they wanted me to blow smoke rings. And I have a cigar, I'm trying to do it. And all I did was get sick. And I called back and I said, I can't, you know, that's not working. He said, don't worry, we've got a machine, we got the whole thing solved. So I go down and I'm talking to Danny and Danny's there and I want to piss him off and I blow a smoker right across, right at his face, right going across him, you know. And, you know, you know, really pissing the character, really mm-hmm. pissing Danny off. And, and they got this billows right beside my ear. And, but the, the smoke rings keep breaking. They don't stay together long enough. And uh, you're getting, you know, because it's important within the within the frame of what they wanted to do, and find a little costume, little makeup girl. They just hired her. She was her first job, and she said, "Give me that goddamn cigar." She said, "I used to smoke, uh, smoke the uh, silkwood with my four brothers out behind a barn." And she took the cigar, pow! She blasted him. 
you know, wow. one ah, after the ah. other. Boom, boom. I mean, beautiful, you know. And um, you gotta, you got to inhale the whole thing to get it right, you know. She blasted them out, and they should boom, boom, boom. We got the whole scene. And I'm saying, well, this is what low-budget movies are all about. <laughs> and I went out about, I went about two hours later. We were in a roadhouse outside of Dallas. There's, there's uh, Austin, I guess. And there she is sitting on the steps, just puking her guts out. She'd given her life oh to this my God. fucking movie. Oh, you know? yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know, but, uh, Something to but tell her grandkids. Was, and, and I ran into her within the last five or ten. She's still in the business. She's a, you know, she's a prop lady. And uh, she stayed in all the way. Now, but I think, did I answer the question? Yeah, and then some. Oh, good for me. Now, a question I wanted to ask you, being a stage actor, doing the same dialogue night after night, do you find yourself going into autopilot, and what do you do about that? Well, I'd mentioned before about Henry Fonda. Yeah. You know, like like if you know somebody's out in the audience, you really, you know, you don't want to do a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every audience plays differently. It, why, why does somebody go out and fish on the Gulf or, or on Lake Champlain or something? You know, there's something about fishing. It's not that you catch a bass and a bass. You know, they, they play you differently. Each audience plays you differently. They miss this laugh. Why is that? What do we do? Then you, you, you try to make sure you don't miss the next one. You, you can sense the audience. You're playing them. They're, you know, and uh, that, that becomes the life of it. You... Uh, there's also the pride of the of the business. You don't want to you don't want an audience to hate you, you know. You want an audience that loves you, and you've got to do the play. And if they're not responding in the right places, you try to find out why and get them back in the other places. Does, does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. You don't look you don't look that smart. Well, go- <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Well, he's a stand-up, Emmett. You know, he does he does stand-up three three or four nights a week. So you must have a similar experience. Where yeah. why didn't the audience laugh at the joke they oh. laughed at last night? Oh my God! Yeah. 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 Why is that audience different? It's like sometimes a joke that kills in the first show, in the second show they're staring at you. Mysterious. Yeah. So your 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 question had nothing to do with me. It had something to do with. <laughs> well. The scene, by the way, the scene, the picking up the hat, uh, little business in 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 Blood Simple. I know you've been asked this. That that was that was your invention. That was your I'm little not, bit of business. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I uh, at one time I might have said it was, but I'm not sure. It, it could. The Coen Brothers are so fucking smart. You mean no one does a first movie and have it like the Blood Simple? I mean, yeah. you know, there are hundreds of movies made by people that you never hear about. You know, uh, never, never a word. Absolutely. And uh, um, the I Visser, my character, had an image of himself. Obviously, the hat was part of it. But you know, he just went through the whole pounding of the wall, getting his hands, uh, you know, uh, uh, the knife in the hand, and yeah. the whole, the whole thing, and pounding the wall to get the knife out and the whole thing. And and uh, during during all that, my hat had fallen off. You know, the this, uh, you know. Uh, Whatever the white thing was, you know that uh, the the Western hat that I had on. Yeah, yeah. and uh, then he find, gets his hand back. He turns around, and uh, you know it's, it's he's totally wiped. You know he turns around and he's looking towards the door where he thinks whoever is involved, you know, he's going to come get them. And he looks at then he then he looks down and goes out of frame. Comes back up and puts the hat on. It's a great moment. Now, yeah, and. Uh, I I uh, 
with hindsight, I like to think I might have thought of that because it was part of the character. But the the Coen brothers might have thought of it too. I'm not sure. You know, uh, the uh, it's a it's a great uh, performance. Yeah, well, it's a good performance. You know, yeah. I won an award for it. You deserved you know, it. Uh, the, it was the first Spirit Award, the Independent Spirit Award. You know, Meryl Streep got uh, 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 who am I talking about? Got it for Trip the Bonifo. She got the first female award, and I got the first. Oh, award. out of Africa. Yeah. No, no, uh, no, no. Uh, is she uh, in Trip the Bonifo? Doesn't matter. No, I didn't say out of. I said Trip the Bonifo. Who in hell was in that? Uh, Geraldine Page. Yeah, well, Geraldine got it for for that performance, and I got it for Blood Simple. That were the first two acting awards for the Spirit Awards. You know, after that, now they got about seventeen different categories. But uh, but uh, also the um, the uh, producer was there. We had a little f- function when they gave out the first Spirit Awards. You know, at, at some little restaurant in right. Hollywood, and uh, the producer was there, and he was going to go up and get the award for you know best film. And uh, he panicked the last minute. He said, Emmett, 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 you do it, you do it. So I went up, you know, and they're giving this award for the for, for the best uh, independent feature film. And I said, um, uh, Rocky Rocky Two just opened uh, on 1,900 screens around the country. At no time during the run of Blood Simple were there ten prints. Wow. And that, uh, that's what a low-budget film was. Right. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Stick your finger up the wrong person's ass? <laughs> you, know, you know, a friend of mine a while back broke his hand and put in a cast. Very next day, he falls, protects his bad hand, and he breaks his good one. So now he breaks that too, you know. Fall. So now he's got two busted slippers, you know. So I said to him, I said, Creighton, I, said, I hope your wife really loves you, because for the next five weeks, you can't even wipe your own goddamn hat. <laughs> That's a test, ain't it? Test the true love. I got a job for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if Ben's right and it's legal, I'll do it. They, you know, they became, it became its own life. And sure, stuff. but it's more yeah. than made its money back now. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, and then it's some. Made mo- it's made money for me. You yeah. know, and of course, the Coen brothers... Every time the Coen Brothers do a new movie, they they mention Blood Simple, so yep. it's kept my career going. And you showed you up know. in the next one too, in a wonderful little uh, cameo. Well, I, I in, talked them into that. They they weren't they weren't interested, you know. And I, I remember I took them to the the Players Club in New York, I belonged to at the time. Uh huh. And I t- I took them to lunch down there, and uh, and I said, look, it, I'll do it anything, and that was Raising Arizona. Yeah, it was, your, your moment yeah, is great. And I said, I'll do I'll do anything. And they didn't. Uh, they said, "Okay, well, let them do this." So I went to Phoenix or something. And did uh, every time Nicholas Cage gets out of jail, he's in the same right. shop. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Bill Parker. Talk about talk about finding this guy's head on the freeway. <laughs> it's fantastic. Now you you worked with someone whose name has popped up on this show a bunch of times, Herschel Bernardi. Oh, you were in Arnie. Do you have any memory any memory of doing that show? He was a blacklisted actor. 
Yeah, well, I've worked with other black women. Yeah. Too. Uh, yeah. Um, um, the, uh, I'm trying to think who, um, but uh, that'll come to me. Uh, uh, I, knew, I knew him. We did the show. You know, he had yeah. the series and so forth. Um, you, did, you did a fair amount of TV in those days, too. I, st- I was doing TV, TV before I was doing movies. Yeah, your Jimmy Stewart you know, show. You yeah, did the Don yeah, Rickles the, show. Uh, you know, the, uh, um, yeah, I, um, as I, as I say, as my reputation for doing these, you know, these non sequential parts and little things became known that it helped the thing along, mm-hmm. you know, my reputation grew and they kept getting me to do other things, other things, other things to help along. But, um, I knew, I knew, you know, I did this show with him. I don't remember that. Um, um, who did, who did, who did that detective story? Got an Oscar for it. The uh, oh, uh, Lee Grant. Lee Grant. Yeah, Lee we Grant had was, Lee Grant was black, blacklist. Yeah, we had her on this show. Yeah, Lee Grant was, you know, wonderful. Yeah, she's in her nineties now. Yes, the, she, uh, she lives a few the, blocks uh, from here. Yeah, um, yeah, she's a sweetheart. Too. She is. The uh, we're doing a play in Stockbridge, Mass. Lee Grant was playing. It's a, it was a new play by, uh, and they're doing a workshop of it. She, uh, she played with Bill Devane, Bill Devane and Lee Grant, and I come in. It's set, set in the country or something, you know, type of thing. And, uh, uh, and uh, it was a workshop, and we were there for two weeks rehearsal or something. And there was a little nightclub in, uh, I don't know, away from Stockbridge. I can't think of the name of the town. But uh, you'd go down with the music. You'd go down the stairs to get into it, the whole thing. And we're you know getting smashed like we always did. <laughs> and we're we're leaving there. We're leaving there. And uh, Lee Grant, Devane's going up, and Lee Grant's behind him, and right, I'm right behind Lee Grant. And I'm right there. And there's her 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 rear facing right at me, and the tight little ass, and the, the whole thing. It looked, <laughs> it looked it looks and and I just I kind of reached up and squeezed it. And as I squeezed it, I said, oh, oh, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> and, and she stopped, and she looked down at me, and she said, thank you. <laughs> Great story. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's, uh, oh, we have to ask Lee about that. <laughs> but it was, I, I just it was, saw her a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I just had oh, the pleasure was, of having dinner with her a couple of weeks ago. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, She's great. Yeah, tell, tell her, yeah, because uh, I, I was... I watched her do a session at the Actors Studio four or five years ago. But uh, I'll say hi for ni- you. I think she's ninety three years. She now, is. You were in Airport yeah. seventy seven with her, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, and she said things to me there too. She said, uh, "Don't do this or don't." You know, she uh, giving advice to a young actor. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's friend. And we've been, you know, we've been friends for a long time. She's lovely. Yeah, she's sweet. Of, of, of those people that you played the, the tennis match with on screen, the Pacinos and the Redfords and the Beatties and the Paul Newmans, did. Was there somebody that you particularly enjoyed going back and forth with more than others? You worked with uh, Hoffman a couple more than a couple yeah, well, of times. Yeah, the uh, I don't Paul really Paul Newman and Slapshot. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, uh, I think I did another movie with Paul. The uh, uh, maybe Twilight. Yeah, Twilight Zone. Or yeah, something. not Twilight. Twilight. Something. Was it Twilight? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Paul. You know, and and. Uh, uh, I look at I was there, and I'm working with these big people, you know, and I'm just Emma Walsh, you know, and I was there, and they knew I was helping, and I appreciated helping, mm-hmm. and uh, 
none of them ever came at me. I mean, anybody that did, there were only two or three that ever tried, you know, and, uh, what, is it, what does that mean? They they're, tried, they're, they tried to best you in the scene. They tried to. Oh, they, they, yeah, they tried. They thought they could take it. You know, and I see. They're they're in the un, the unmarked part of the cemetery now. You know, the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, in answer to your question, no, they were all just wonderful, and I was there to help. And uh, it, it was a tennis match. You know, the, we hit the ball. Yeah. You know, back and forth in the audience, and it worked. You know, and that's why I was brought in. Did you? But have... they they were good people. They, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't have. Uh, I just who did I mention uh, to you about uh, the the uh, the guy that changed all the dialogue, the television actor. What was his name? Uh, I can't I can't think of it. The, the star Beretta. Huh. Robert Blake? Uh, yeah, Robert Blake. Robert Blake, he did Beretta, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, I was brought in to do a, a, a Beretta type of thing at one time. And it was a lot of dialogue. So I, learning dialogue has nothing to do with acting. That's it's a mechanical stunt. You get it out of the way. Then the acting happens. Mm-hmm. So if I'm ever around acting, actors who haven't learned it, they don't even know the first step of acting, you know, type of thing. So I had a whole bunch of dialogue. I get all done. I come in to do this Beretta uh, with uh, Robert Blake, and uh, he comes in and then uh, to my dressing room where I went to his, and we read the scene over. He said, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." You know, and because I'd ready to well, hammer it, you know, I'm going to kill it. And a uh, few minutes later, his assistant comes to me and says, uh, uh, "Here, here you give me script. Bobby wants to change this and this and this." And this, and the, you know, he'd take he'd take a sentence out of a paragraph, you know, or you're ch- you know, like suddenly, suddenly you 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 know, Bobby Blake didn't learn it. He was just trying to get through the job, but he wasn't going to let some actor come in and make him look bad. He was going to make sure they looked bad also. Wow, wow. You get me? You get me on that one? Yeah. And that's that was and uh, and that's I learned that one. The uh, that uh, you uh, you can't win. They'll 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 switch it around. That's fascinating. I know it. I'm fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Emmett, I got a couple of questions from listeners, if you'll, if you'll indulge me. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. These are these are a couple of questions from guests. There's a, a guy named Robert Martin, a listener, wants to know: Do you have any memories of filming a movie with Jason Robards called "Raise the Titanic"? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I've known I knew Jason for a long time. I knew him in New York. Mm-hmm. The uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, he was doing Little Big Man, I think it was, or something. Uh, I don't know, me was he was doing a Broadway play, and I used to, they they taught us in New York. You know, hang out where the actors hang out. Go where the actors go. So, like, I was in the Broadway softball league. I was in the Broadway bowling league. Oh. You know, you, know, you, yeah. you they, get, they get used to seeing you. You really you know? are a jock. Yeah. You know, I am a jock. Mm-hmm. I'm for, uh, you know, I don't know, park golfer. The, um, and uh, then you'd go to the bar afterwards after the show, and you'd drink with them. And, the whole, and I knew Jason for a long time. And um, 
and I, I, I do a lot of barroom poetry, Robert Service and uh, Casey and the, you know, the whole thing. I learned it all as a, as a kid. And uh, Jason and I were drinking one time, and he said, hey, hey, I got the kid's last fight on, on you know, on a, on a cassette. That was a, a famous poem about two guys that grew up together, went a different way, and then they suddenly end up fighting together. And neither one wants to hurt the other guy. But they, you know, the whole thing it was called the kids' last fight. It's a great, great little poem. So, so he, so Jason and I go go up to his apartment in the Dakota, you know, around seventy. Oh yeah, sure. And he was married to uh, Lauren Bacall then, you know. And we go in there and we're drunk as fiddlers, bitches. And he's over there trying to put the needle, <laughs> drunk as trying fiddlers, to put, trying to put the needle on the and, and uh, uh, Lauren Bacall comes out with a broom. And she starts beating the shit out of me. <laughs> you <laughs> drunk and bummed. Yeah, you know, so so I, I went back a long time with Jason. <laughs> the, uh, I love but, that. But um, we did, what, what was the film? Uh, the, Raise you know, the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. Yeah. Well, Jason, Jason and I are flying over to uh, to, Afri- to uh, Greece, you know, from L.A., I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason, we're in first class, of course. We're flying all night or something. And Jason's in... Uh, Jason's sitting with me, I guess, in a seat. And I think his wife is with the two kids in the seat in front of us or something. And uh, and Jason said, uh, you know what I'm proud of? I said, no. He said, see those two kids? I said, yeah. He said, they never saw me drunk. They never saw me drunk. Wow. And that's what Jason was proud of. Wow, and he did. He didn't drink anymore. Once, once he stopped, he stopped. But he crashed himself up on the, you know, the freeway. He wrapped his face all up. Yeah, took him over a year and a half before he went back to work. The, uh, but uh, he was very proud of that. Wow. But Jason was a good guy. That's quite. And, uh, that's quite a story. But I knew him. On bo- I knew him on both sides. You know, I knew on the drunk side and the and the side. And uh, you know what the hell? I heard you say that clean and sober was material that that you were attracted to because you 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 came from you knew drinking. Well, I'm a I'm an old drunk, you know. I was a periodic. My father was an alcoholic. He was a U.S. Customs officer on the border, and uh, and uh, uh, I, you know, I grew up with AA, you know, around it. You know, that my father it never clicked with my father until he'd finally buried everybody. Then there was nothing to do but go talk about it and about you know. And it became one of the legendary speakers in AA back in Vermont. There. Oh, the uh, yeah, but they, you know, that. That's basically what happens with alcoholics, you know. Eventually, can't take it. And uh, but uh, my my uh, the the whole family was the Irish on both sides. You know, that's they're performers. You know that type of thing. And I came out of that. And your question initially started this with what? Oh, I was you just saying. Remember? I was just saying how, and it's a great performance in Clean and Sober. How how yeah, you well, you were attracted to the a, the material, a, you know, because I was a drunk. Yeah, you know, I had a I had a real I had a and the basic the surprise of the whole thing on Clean and Sober it opens with a monologue that just camera yeah. on me doing the whole doing the whole thing, and uh, uh, and my my background I was never AA but I was a drunk, and uh, and my father was AA. My my whole idea was not to make them look bad, you know, type of thing, and uh, and then when I saw the movie, I realized it it made me look like an asshole, as opposed to someone that really believed in what he was up to, with the AA thing. Interesting, as as I recall, there's some in there, but uh, I'm very much, you know, I'm you know, 
if you don't know how to drink, what the hell? In, in, in Clean and Sober, there's a scene where you're in a diner and you have a bowl of chocolate ice cream. Oh, yeah. A chocolate cake and a chocolate uh, ice cream shake. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what that's all about. With my background in uh, AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, what what they try to do is substitute one addiction for the other addiction. See, so if you were a drunk, you know, you'd try to get them in the macrame, or say, you know, you'd try to get them spending this time, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I was a drunk talking to Michael Keaton, you know. Uh, you know, I got him over there. We're in this diner, and I said, "Tell me your story." And Michael's going on and on, and mm-hmm. you know, he's filling in with his own lies and everything, and. I was I was the uh, I was the alcoholic, in view, interviewing him, you know, doing the whole thing, and uh, I had substituted food or or uh, sugar or ice cream or something for my addiction. Right, and that's that's what they do, and I just kept it going. I remember I remember I, the the whole the the whole cast and the whole crew went crazy because we shot we shot for a day and I did nothing but eat ice cream. You know, and, uh, you know, got obviously in time incredibly sick. But I wanted to show that that's what the alcoholic person was. That he, you know, you want to say me on this a little bit? Oh, yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. yeah. What am I doing? Yes. Yeah. You don't like it? He said, he said, none of this has been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he just changed the mind. So, so basically, what I was trying to do is why I'm listening to Michael. And he's going through all the lies that alcoholics would, you know, boom, 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 boom. Then he says the one thing that I that I jump on, you know, which was, uh, you know, the girl had died in his bed, you know, of the whole thing, you know, what it was. Right. But uh, but I wanted the I wanted the I wanted the reformed alcoholic to show. And of course, I've had alcoholics come to me and say that that really really nailed it. You know, that's what it was all about. You know, t- type of thing that it wasn't an actor. It was, you know, that's what an AA sure, does. Sure. Yeah. Is there so, a is there a moment, Emmett, when when you when you're when you're rapping for the day? Is there a moment where you say, "I I know I nailed that. I I, I that that it just it felt right." Or is there always a, a degree of uncertainty until you until you see the finished product? I can look at my work and um, you know from thirty forty years ago and say, "Yeah, he." He, he he did that pretty good, mm-hmm. you know, type, type of thing. Uh, um, uh, I didn't phone it in. I didn't phone it in. I I, I worked hard on everything I did, you know, type of thing. But uh, the uh, I have I have people who are not my biggest fans. You know, there are people at company that are not. They didn't like that or they didn't like this. Or really? Like that? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and uh, you know. Uh, the ones that I let live, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a disagreement with Ridley Scott when he was when uh, uh, when you were making Blade Runner? Something about him making you smoke? The, you uh, threatened to hang him by his balls. Do I have this right? <laughs> the uh, you 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 guys can take good stories and really ruin. Okay, I fucked that one up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, we on, on Blade Runner. Uh, we blame you know Harrison and and, and uh, um. Ridley's- we're in we're in a, we're in a room and I'm showing film 
right of the of the Blade Runners that are you know they're, they're gotten out or something you know and uh, Harrison is there the replicants the replicants and uh, showing film of the replicants and uh, Ridley says at some point uh, would I smoke you know so I start smoking and and we go on and we're shooting and shooting and shooting and uh, get incredibly sick and it's a lot it really shoots a lot he shot a lot of film. And uh, I'm getting sicker and sicker. And uh, Alan Ladd Jr. was one of the producers on it. And I wasn't aware of it. You know, and there are people come in behind the camera and watch for a while. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, sure. no, one, no one watches the movie very long being shot if they're a civilian. It's so boring, you know. The, uh, and Alan Ladd came in and the whole thing. And uh, at some point, Ridley did something. And I said, Shit. you know, I got sick or something. I said, I said, you ought to be fucking hung from the ceiling by the balls and twitches slowly from left to right. You know, and um, Ridley says, I I feel that way a lot anyway. And <laughs> Alan Ladd Jr. had me pulled off my next movie. Wow. He, um, he uh, whatever it was I'd been hired for. It's something with Michael, Michael Keaton's first movie or something, one of his early films. And he had, he had me pulled off it. He, he uh, but... Uh, and then Ridley, we had to change dialogue, how many replicants there were. We kept changing and changing and changing. I'd come back in three months and come back. And, you know, and at one point, um, one of the producers on. Uh, uh, oh, Bud Yorkin. Bud Yorkin. Bud Yorkin is in there. And I'm redoing a couple lines, you know, not on camera, redoing the line. And uh, I know he'd do it. The, the number of replicants and that kind of shit. And I said, Bud, I said, I'm going to be back. And Bud says, you're not coming back. That's it. I said, no, this is, there go, there's going to be a change. I said, no. And this is the, you know, we're an hour and a half, you know, a year and a half into the movie. You know, not, not even get close. Ridley's, you know. And I said, and we ended up betting $10, you know. And a couple of months later, I get a call from Ridley Scott saying, what the fuck did you say to, to, to Bud Yorkin? He said, I need you in the fucking film, and he won't let me have you. He said, what the fuck's going on? It was the $10. It was the $10. So he had to, So I came in and did it, and there was, a, there was an envelope with a $10 bill in it. But, but that was, that was the, the, the number of replicants in the whole thing. You know? But um, Ridley, really good guy. Make some great films. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, he lost his brother. That's all sad. Yes, that's 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 tragic. You know, I, one more question I have here just from a listener. I know you're shocked that we have anybody listening to the show, Emmett, but Ray Gostini has a question about the jerk. He says the dot, the, uh, dot, the phrase die milk face has long been a, a part of his, uh, his, da- his daily parlance. Those things that you're yelling at Steve Martin's character when you're, when you're the, the crazy sniper and the jerk, what was scripted and what was, was improvised? By you, how much well, of that we're stuff? Shoot, we're, we're shooting in a we're shooting in the uh, 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 in a shooting gallery underneath the house. Right, that's where I'm practicing. That's right. where all those that, that's where all that dialogue is. Right, you know, type of thing. The uh, what was uh, uh, what it was? Uh, who, who was Carl who Reiner? Directed? Carl Reiner. Yeah, I, who wrote it? Did Carl 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 wrote it? I think it was Carl and uh, yeah, and uh, Carl yeah, Gottlieb. Yeah. yeah, they you know they great freedom with Carl. You know, like you know, like you know you. You you think of how to do it, then you think of how to maybe do it da, da, and da, da, and do do you know that type of thing all around, and uh, and uh, how the dialogue came up or something you know if he gave it to me or else I kept you know like you know the, the stupid profanities and all uh, 
Mm-hmm. But um, you say but, you I, die I, milk face. I, I, I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> he, he, I won't take it away from Carl. He might. I might be saying his all his dialogue. I might add in a couple of mine. Yeah. You know. Dead sinner, say your prayers, half breed. very funny i mean i want to say too that at some point you talk about having a gift but you know in, in scenes like in uh, movies like fletch and the jerk you 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 have a you seem to have embracing arizona certainly you seem to have a natural way with comedy well i'm i'm not a comedic actor you know i'm, a, I'm an actor i'm mm-hmm. an irishman so they're all they're you know it's god damn if they look in the mirror and you're an irishman you gotta laugh <laughs> <laughs> the uh but no i i i you know, I had the gift. I have the gift, and I got lucky. But there are a lot of people that never get lucky. You know, and uh, but I've had a grand time, and uh, it's a great uh, body of work, Emmett. There, are, you know, like who's who's the guy now doing the one about uh, um, the the uh, costumer, the movie that's out now, the the up for an Academy Award. Uh, uh, you know who I'm talking. You know who I'm talking about. Which uh, 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 costumer? Oh, he, he's a dresser. He. Come on. But he said it's his last movie. He'll never do another movie. Oh, 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 uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel, yeah, he's, 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 you know, he's, uh, he's burned out. Yeah. Well, he's done some great he's, work. He's quit he several play, times. And, 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 yeah, he's playing a lot of different people. But, you know, I, shit, I don't know how old he is. He's probably 60, 65. But he's, he's, he's had it. I've never had it. You know, it's always fun. You know, it's always, let me go out and see what I can get away with. I love that. I, but then again, he he's playing major roles. I'm just playing walking in for two or three days. This you is know? this is a quote from you. You said you said when I get to a hundred movies, I guess I I die. <laughs> but now, <laughs> but now one hundred and one hundred and eight and counting, you're still here. It's one hundred and eighteen. One hundred and eighteen, and you're still working. Still working. And I look at your IMDb page today, and I see you've got four or five films in production and things in pre-production. Oh, I don't think they're in production. What's the one? What's the one that's coming out that I got to? It's opening a film festival. Yeah, give us a plug. Uh, change a change in the air. Okay. Mer- uh, Olympia Dukakis plays my wife. Uh, oh. The uh, I don't know. If she says who plays her husband, but I'm I, using her. I saw that indie you were in with Christopher Plummer uh, from from a couple of years ago too. It was excellent. Well, that was that was a that was a yeah that was interesting. Very good. Man and in the, the chair. Uh, what was it? Man in the chair. Man, you were the screen. Plumber. You were the retired screenwriter yeah, living yeah, in the nursing I did, home. I did. I did a scene with the guy that uh, Natalie Wood. Oh, know, Robert Wagner's picking, in it. Yeah, they're picking on him. Yeah. The uh, yeah, it's a good film. Yeah. No, the the, the manager was interesting. Yeah. You know, type of thing. Very good. Chris Chris was interesting. A nice man to work with, Christopher he, Plummer. He, but he grew, he grew up in Montreal. That's only sixty miles from me. That's right. He's you a know, Canadian. You know, yeah. Well. Yeah. He, yes, he is. He. Uh, the. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay, you guys had it? <laughs> you got anything else for this man before we let him go and get on with his life? How how much editing do you have to do to do this? I mean, we've been here for seven hours. <laughs> a uh, little bit. We're 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 about done. I I also I just wanted to say I heard you. you do you uh, cut after I after this? Do you cut it down? Someplace? Yeah, we'll cut it down. Oh, we'll trim yeah. it down a little bit. Not much because people want to hear from you, Emmett. Can you sell? Can you send me a cassette? Of we're going to send you the down? link, and I'm going to send. Be, and I also want to say that Emmett is the only guest that ever sent gifts before he was a guest on the show. He sent wow. he sent me a trading card from Wild Wild West. He sent me a two dollar bill. Not sure what he was trying to tell me with that one. You want to ask this man anything else? Uh, no, I guess I'll. Okay, I'll. I'll... He's going to rep. If you let me, if you let me know where you're performing when I'm in New York. I won't go into that area. <laughs> Have you ever seen his act? No, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I dare say I think you'd enjoy it. All right. I have, okay. a, I have a quote here from you, Emmett. Uh, you said for a guy from a small town, you didn't do badly. I was senior class president in high school. You Ten did, girls and three boys. You did, I mean, I come from the big time. You did pretty well. And thanks for doing this. I know it was a schlep, and thanks to Mike Gargano for making it happen. Well, thank Mike, because, uh, you know, he just became my enemy. (laughs) (laughs) So Gilbert's going to wrap up. Well, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been talking to one of the kings of the great character actors, M. Emmett Walsh. Emmett, keep going. Never retire. All right. Fun and dandy. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santa Padre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.